It's time. John Gruden's our guest, head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. JT the Brick, great talking to you. Hope you're well, man. It's time. Well, you know how we want to play, JT. You know me probably better than anybody out there. It's time for the JT the Brick Show. We're going to play old school football. JT the Brick on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Can't wait to play in that stadium and get this party started. You got no idea. Here's your host, JT the Brick. Out of the gate, JT with you, and welcome to Raider Nation Radio on 920 AM or the Raiders app or lvsportsnetwork.com. However you're streaming the show, we really appreciate it. And if you're driving around Vegas, you know 920 and everything that we've done at Lotus for decades here. Welcome to the show as we continue with our draft coverage for the Silver and Black leading up to the draft here in a couple of weeks. Really excited about that, and I'm excited about the coverage we have as it's brought to you by PTs, the best happy hour in town, Sean Patrick, Sierra Gold, the SG Bar, all of the bars that are open here for your Golden Knights. We're going to do a lot of Golden Knights today and the Raiders draft and the ability to go watch NASCAR, do whatever you do. Get your friends together and head on out to a PTs. They fuel the monologue and the happy hours 5 to 7, midnight to 2, or any other time in between. This happy hour from 9 to 2 with the food specials right now when the show starts. A lot of our listeners tweet me, text me. They go there for happy hour as we get rolling here. Noon to 2 is where you can have great food. Then 5 to 7, midnight to 2 for the happy hour. We have two really good draft insiders who are going to join us today. Trevor Sikama, who's fantastic from the Draft Network. Really good. You've heard him here with me before. I put him on my other show, too, on SiriusXM. He came out with his mock draft 5.0 today, and I tweeted it out, and very interesting, very interesting what he has with the Raiders at 17, which I agree with him wholeheartedly. So I'll tease that for his appearance coming up here in a little bit. But if you want to go look in advance, go to my Twitter at JTTheBrick, and I put out his mock draft as we get going. Really, the Niners... The Niners are going to make the biggest noise early in the draft at number three. If all accounts say they're going to take Matt Jones, the quarterback out of Alabama, that means that Trey Lance, Justin Fields will drop. And those are quarterbacks with amazing upside and athletic ability that other teams might want to trade up and get, including the Denver Broncos at number nine. And the New England Patriots, who built a completely new team in the offseason. And the Patriots are obviously looking for a quarterback. And remember, if the Niners go with Mac Jones at number three, they claim they want to keep Jimmy Garoppolo, which they should because Mac Jones is not ready to play in the NFL yet. So Garoppolo, because they have a very good roster, the Niners, but Garoppolo might want out. He might not love this deal. He, he can't like this deal. And that's where Bill Belichick could potentially trade and go get Garoppolo back in New England. I think that's going to be really important. And also, what Cincinnati does at number five. Do they go offensive line to protect Joe Burrow, which has an effect on the Raiders if they want to tackle? Or do they go with a wide receiver in Jamar Chase or Kyle Pitts, the tight end out of Florida? This first round, the first 10 picks, are, it's going to be wild. It's going to be wild. We'll be broadcasting the draft from inside Allegiant Stadium with our teammates here from the Raiders and Lotus Broadcasting. And all the years I've anchored the draft for the Raiders, the times I've done it, it is going to be awesome. And I think it's going to be great. And I'm expecting the Raiders to be in a phenomenal position at number 17 to trade up or to stay there and get a really good player. And I know that's going to sound a little bit like a broken record over the next two weeks, but my record's broken and I'm going with it. 
that the Raiders should trade up to get a superstar. If they believe they have a superstar on their board and they want to get him, I'm all in. Khalil Mack is long gone. I coveted the Khalil Mack picks. I didn't want anybody to touch him. Multiple first-round picks, and the Raiders got players, including Josh Jacobs, that they wanted to build around. Those picks are now gone. And since the Raiders got rid of Khalil Mack, Khalil hasn't done anything deep in the postseason. Chicago hasn't won a Super Bowl. And the Raiders are trying to get to the next level. So they don't have the added Mack picks, which if the Raiders traded one of those picks, you in the Raider Nation would have freaked out. You would have compared that young man who they traded for, you would have compared him to Khalil Mack the rest of your life, and that wouldn't have been fair because you can't compare many people to Khalil Mack. Now that's gone, and the Raiders need to get aggressive. And I think Mayock probably wants to use value and depth. Yeah, could Mike Mayock trade back? Yeah, he could trade back if he wants a right tackle, and they get to 17, and he still knows he can get that tackle or offensive lineman at 20 or 22, and he's confident. Maybe he could trade back. I don't know. But I'm more apt to him trading up to get a superstar because I live in Vegas, and I've been inside that stadium. And that stadium needs a superstar on defense. Maybe it'll be Yannick Ngakwe. He'll be that superstar for three or four years, or maybe they find him in the draft. So we're talking draft, and by noon, you should know who you want or what the Raiders should do. So get in line, and we'd love to get you on the radio today, 702-365-9200, as we are rolling today with a really big show. So again, Howard Balzer, Trevor Sycamore will join us, Jeff Sherman over at the Westgate as we look at the moving odds going into the NBA and baseball early on. So there's a lot of good baseball storylines that I want to get to. Last night's Golden Knight game was really exciting to me. They need to beat teams like the Kings. They need to beat Arizona. They need to beat the inferior teams behind them so they could get on a streak. And they were able to do that last night after a slow start. Wah got the game going for VGK with this big goal. Out to center. In they go. Wah with Martinez. Wah closing in. He shoots. He scores! Nick Wah on cue. And the Knights trail 2-1. to one. That was a big goal. They don't get that goal there. I don't think they win the game. They needed to start and launch a comeback, and they were able to do that, and that got them going. Big goal. You know, this team has got a lot of goal scorers and a lot of guys who can get this team going fast. And after that, one of the biggest goals of the year for Mark Stone, shorthanded, tied it up. Frustrated, I'm sure, that he couldn't get a good shot off. Here's Stone, a breakaway chance. Speeding down the middle. Forehand, backhand, forehand. He scores! Mark Stone, shorthanded goal. 2-2 tie. That was a monster goal for Stone. That pretty much saved the day and changed all the momentum. Alex Tucker, we've had on recently. Good guy. Every, whenever he comes on, he always enjoys talking about his lifestyle, what he's doing out here. He had one of the best goals of the year where he went the length of the ice, an oversized man handling the puck, and he went coast to coast. Out to center goes Tuck for the Knights. Into the zone, down the middle, he shoots, and he scores! Alex Tuck, end to end, 3-2 Golden Knights. 14th goal of the year for Alex Tuck. That was fantastic. They really needed that goal. They really needed that goal to get back into the game and take the lead. And then after that, Pacioretty on the power play puts it away, and it's a milestone goal. Pass out high, left point, Theodore. Towards the middle, turns to shoot, but passes left. Pacioretty shoots, he scores! 300, Matt!
Max Pacioretty, and Vegas leads 4-2. Pacioretty rips it from the outside left wing. 300 goals in 802 regular season NHL games. Yeah, that was great. Dan Duva on the call. Dan Duva on the call, and he was great. We'll have Shane Knighty. Shane Knighty will join us a little bit later on to talk about the win last night. Again, you know that when there's a quiet day out here, there's not a lot of breaking news, and Vegas is playing and winning hockey games, I get that into the monologue, and I talk VGK for Peter DeBoer. Good to keep the scorers, the snipers going. Even before the trade deadline, he was asking for this. I think we, we said in the coach's room after the game, the, the, the right guys got goals tonight for us. Uh, you know, they take a lot of responsibility for the offensive uh, results of our team. And, and uh, you know, they take that personally and, and it, it weighs on them. So the fact they all got on the board tonight and look good doing it, I think that's that's real important for them and for us. All right, one more from DeBoer on the schedule in the tough week. And these have been really close games, a one nothing game, down 2 nothing, and the comeback against the Kings. Now they got to keep the momentum. There's still big work ahead. This was a tough game for us. Um, three games and four nights, uh, travel, uh, the trade deadline today. Uh, I'm usually the last one to make excuses for our group uh, because of the circumstances, but th- this was a tough game and and i knew that it might take us a while to get going and and it did and to our guys credit uh, we didn't wait till the third we we found a way to get our legs under us in the second so that's where we stand on vgk i'd like to get a golden knights call i moved three feet away from the golden Knights station or maybe 30 feet away to a studio here and now it's like all the night fans have disappeared. What what more what more can we do on this show? I get the coach, I get the owner, I get the players, and I put them in the monologue. Let's get Vegas going. I do a sports talk show in Las Vegas where I've lived here an awful long time. So I'd like to keep Vegas going with the Vegas Golden Knights along with the Raiders. Again, I'm the guy who doesn't waste your time. I don't talk for 20 minutes about sports in this town that don't deserve that type of coverage. I want to get you going here. So we wanted to get Vegas and the Golden Knights going right out of the gate. And if you're listening and streaming us, thanks for listening to our hockey coverage. We're not apologizing for it. We love it. We want this team to win the cup. And I think they're going to win the cup. But I've said that before, and I've gotten my guts ripped out in the postseason with VGK. All right, a couple of other big stories that have broke recently. One out of Buffalo, Erie County, New York. The Bills last year, as you remember, they were a playoff team. They were able to have some fans in the building for their playoff games in January. And they're looking for a lot more of them this fall. Erie County Executive Mark Polazar said today that he is supportive of a plan to have the newly rechristened Highmark Stadium. Remember, it used to be New Era Field and Rich Stadium. Buffalo Bills play at Highmark Stadium. He wants it open for full capacity when the season gets underway. He noted that the plan is to limit admission to those who have been vaccinated. Whoa, whoa, all you psycho, crazy anti-vaxxers out there trying to figure out what you want to do. Keep in mind, I stay in my lane. I have no idea what Governor Sisolak's going to do. No idea the plan of Mark Davis and Mark Bedane. None. I'm not privy to any information about what's happening at the stadium. When I go, I make sure that I'm tested. When I'm in the facility, I follow protocol. That's what I do. But this is a huge story 
because the Buffalo Bills and an individual who's an executive who's making these decisions say the plan is in place. And they said that today on WGR 550 in Buffalo that this comes down to fans who are vaccinated. That's a good topic for this show. But again, you're not going to get anything from me. You're not going to get my opinion on this. My opinion is simple. I work for the team. Whatever they say in regards to who's going to get into the building is way beyond my pay grade. There are a few obnoxious, loud people only on Twitter with 12 followers who get all upset if I don't get fired on purpose and say something stupid about the Raiders. I do not do that. That's why I'm going on my 23rd year with the team. I will tell you that it is bubbling up around the NFL and sports and the Olympics and European soccer that you're going to need a global COVID passport to get on an airplane and go to concerts and sporting events. Don't be shocked if it happens. Don't be shocked and amazed and stand up with your protest sign that no one's going to see. I dealt with this in Oakland when everybody in Oakland was scared of losing the Raiders and they didn't believe it and they had meetings and people showed up and they wanted to keep the team. And I'm like, look, what you're doing has zero impact. And what we're doing in Vegas has zero impact. It's going to happen through politicians and owners. They're going to make the decision for you. And the decision's going to come down around the country if you can go into an NFL stadium if you have to be vaccinated or not. And my theory about everything in life, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. There's a million people waiting behind you that will take your spot. So if you don't want to be, you want to be loud, you don't like the rule in Buffalo, you're upset, you don't want to get vaccinated, you're nervous about it, I respect your opinion. You're not going to the game. You're not going to the game and no one will hear your protest. No one will care. Everybody wants to get on with their life. So this is a breaking news story at Pro Football Talk. There was no mention of what it would mean for children under 16 as the vaccines in use are currently not approved for use with that group. And there are plenty of other details about the plans for Bills games that need to come to light. But they likely won't be the only team moving in this direction in 2021. And that's what I highlighted as we opened up the show is that if Buffalo, we need leaders, right? We need leaders who are going to do this. So if it's a Buffalo Bills, if it's the Las Vegas Raiders, if it's the Seattle Seahawks, someone's going to come up with this. I think the commissioner already has a plan in place. The league is heading to Cleveland ready for the draft, and I wouldn't be surprised if there was an announcement after that, even though I'm not privy to any of that information. Also, according to Pro Football Talk that's having a busy day today, breaking news, the Broncos – the Broncos became the first group of players to announce that they will not participate in voluntary off-season workouts. Other teams likely will follow. Wow. But will every team vote to stay away? Will every player on every team stay away? The executive director, Demora Smith of the NFL Players Association, and the president, J.C. Treader, sent a memo to all players today reiterating the union's position. Quote, we have been in regular contact with the NFL on negotiations over a viral and virtual offseason. This memo reads, per Tom Pelissero of NFL Media, as we shared with everyone, your executive committee and board, it is clear that neither side wants to move off their respected position. As we made clear throughout the bargaining, the COVID status in the country is as perilous as it was at this point last year. A number of players recently tested positive at team facilities. 
COVID weekly positive rates are as high, if not higher, than at this point last offseason. And NFL players who contracted COVID last season can become affected again. Finally, we believe that having the same offseason rules as last year is in the best interest of the players and gives us the best chance of completing a full season in 2021. Wow, that's more big news that just got out today. So the Broncos are leading the charge with this. Here's what I say on this matter, my opinion. I think that the league can do this safely with COVID testing and have an off-season program with players in person. Again, I don't know what the Raiders are going to do. I'm not privy to any of that information. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. But can you imagine if John Gruden doesn't have a workout off-season again? If John Gruden can't get these players, these young players together on the field, and they start going through Zoom meetings again. This, to me, would be a bad move for the Raiders. The Raiders want to get out on the practice field because I know John Gruden, but they're going to follow the league mandates. Off-season programs are scheduled to begin Monday, according to Palacero. And with all of this, the NFL's last proposal is for the first two weeks to be virtual before starting in-person work. The union wants everything before training camp to be virtual, including the mandatory minicamp. And I would assume the power of the union is very strong, and the players are going to have a massive say in this. So we'll see what happens. The headline at Pro Football Talk, NFL Players Union sends memo to players recommending they skip in-person workouts. All right, so if they can do that, I think the Raiders could still be great. You know, Derek Carr in the park, right? You ever see Derek Carr throw in the park? I believe I'm accurate in saying that no team had better attendance in the park with off-season workouts than the Raiders. The Raiders are at the top of the list. So I think the Raiders will find a way, the leadership in the organization, to get their work in. Those are two big storylines that I want to open up the phones with. The show started 16 minutes ago. So let's get going, 702-365-9200. Two major topics. What would you think if the Raiders, the players, weren't allowed to participate in off-season workouts? You're the fans. This this team means everything to you. What do you think is the upside or downside of that? And according to the Buffalo Bills, the breaking story today, one of the executives talking about full capacity in their stadium for the Buffalo Bills if everyone who comes to the game is vaccinated. Do you believe in that in Vegas or out west if you're listening to us in another market? Would you be someone who says, yeah, that's a great idea. I'll get vaccinated. I'm going. Or are you going to be on the outside uh, waiting until you can get let in without a vaccination? Pretty important topics. I don't know anything bigger than this in sports. So we're going to be sitting here for another year or two with COVID numbers rising. And I'm going to be doing two sports radio shows a day with no fans hoping that people are watching TV because they're not driving home from games, they're not driving to games, and they're watching sporting events with no fans, which doesn't seem fun to me. We want to get more fans out there. And then lastly, I saved the best for last. Julian Edelman retired yesterday, and I thought it was a pretty cool retirement. Here's Julian Edelman yesterday as he spoke, and he had had a pretty cool retirement little press conference that he did. He did it with one director's chair. He did it on the field at Foxborough. And Edelman, you know, this was pretty theatric. He wanted to do it this way because he's had a great career and he wanted to pay tribute to the Patriots. 
Nothing in my career has ever come easy. And no surprise, this isn't gonna be easy either. Now, I've always said, I'm gonna go until the wheels come off. And uh, they finally have fallen off. Due to an injury last year, I'll be making my official announcement of my retirement from football. It was a hard decision, but the right decision for me and my family. And I'm honored and so proud to be retiring a Patriot. All right, so the reason the internet almost broke yesterday is a lot of people made fun that Edelman's just doing this to go land with Brady in Tampa Bay, which he could come out of retirement. Remember Gronk? Look, if anybody gets hurt on that wide receiver core in Tampa Bay, I promise you Julian Edelman will be ready to go. And secondly, a lot of people talked about Julian Edelman and consideration for the Hall of Fame, including me. Now, the most important player not in the Hall of Fame at any position, without a doubt, is Cliff Branch. Cliff Branch is one of the greatest regular season and postseason wide receivers to ever play. It is disgraceful that he's not in the Hall of Fame. So to bring up Julian Edelman's name, or anybody else isn't fair to the legacy of Cliff Branch. But what I will say about Edelman is Edelman made the biggest plays in the biggest games. He doesn't have enough stats to get in. But if you look at what he was able to do, he won a Super Bowl when they were down 28-3 to in a comeback with one of the greatest catches of all time. He was brilliant in the playoffs. His playoff numbers are alarming. Second all-time to Jerry Rice. Cliff Branch is fourth on that list. You want some bar trivia? Try answering that trivia. Who's number two behind Jerry Rice all time in playoff yards? It's Julian Edelman. So he's a hell of a player. But no way he goes into the Hall of Fame or gets a conversation before Cliff Branch. It's hard to get in. They made Tim Brown wait a long time. They make these wide receivers wait a long, long time to get in. And it isn't fair. So if you are a wide receiver, Reggie Wayne, we talked about Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holt and all the receivers that had to wait. Look at how long Cliff had to wait, and we're still talking about it now. Julian Edelman had a hell of a career and some big games against the Silver and Black. 702-365-9200. Jordan, start us off. Raider Nation Radio, hello. Hey, J.D., thanks for taking my call. I hope they don't go virtual because teams need to practice on the field. So I agree with you a thousand percent. Yeah, Jordan, thanks. I, I agree. I, I don't want to see him go virtual easy uh, e- either because I think that when you look at what an organization can do, uh, this is a team that can do it safely. And last year, a lot of guys had COVID. A lot of guys had COVID and a lot of guys missed practice. And the Raiders are pretty tight over at that facility with their testing and Look, life's moving on. People are getting vaccinated. All these athletes will be vaccinated, if not already, to be able to practice amongst themselves. But can COVID still get into the building? Can a player contract it again? Yes. So it's a very important time. No calls from Vegas, but calls from New Jersey. Maybe I should spend the summer, Bobby, on the Jersey Shore on an IST headline. Coming up, Trevor. Yeah, I think it would be good. Trevor Sikama will join us. He's got a great mock draft out. Howard Balzer will join us. And in about 25 minutes, we'll talk to Jeff Sherman from the Superbook to take a look at some of the moving odds in sports. Raider Nation Radio.
Lawrence takes a shotgun snap, going to run it up the middle. Got room, cross to the 40, 45. He gets to the 50. He's at the 45, 40. He's at the 30. He's at the 25, 20. Down the left sideline, he goes and Lawrence oh. in the end zone. Touchdown. Goodness. What a run by Trevor Lawrence. Unbelievable. 67 yards, obviously the longest of his career. Yeah, there it is. How about that? Trevor Lawrence can run, and he'll go number one. We all believe he'll go number one in the draft, and he should. He had a brilliant career. He's big. He's got size. He can run, as you just heard it here, make all the throws. He's a franchise quarterback and will change Jacksonville going forward. Every day I wake up and I look at mock drafts. Yeah, I watch the news, I do a couple things, I take my dog for a walk, and then I look at mock drafts, and today, Trevor Sycamus popped up, and I loved it, reached out to him, and he got right back to us, thrilled to have him on, the work that he does is fantastic, and I'm excited, not only from a Raiders perspective, but the way he's covering it nationally. Trevor, thanks a lot for coming on, and as I can see, these quarterbacks in your draft going early where do you stand on this? Are you evaluating them individually, or are you on a run like these other prognosticators thinking they're all going to go early? Well, I think that the element of scarcity is probably the thing that determines quarterbacks the most because when I look at this quarterback group, you know, we talk about the five that could all go in round one, right? Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, and Mac Jones. If you were looking at these guys just individually after watching their tape without saying okay like well this team needs a quarterback so they're going to have to move up for them if they want to no no if you were just looking at their tape and their evaluation i would tell you that zach wilson trevor lawrence and justin fields they would be worth top 10 overall picks i think that they are top 10 quarterbacks they present to you that franchise quarterback ceiling they can play right away and i don't think you'll have too much of a worry of course they're going to take their rookie lumps but i think they're talented enough to be top 10 quarterbacks I think Trey Lance is a first-round quarterback, but I would tell you that Trey Lance, if, when I watch him on film, he's more of a like second half of the first-round kind of a quarterback. He's somebody I'd like to take later in the draft, sit behind a veteran, let him learn a little bit, and then come into potentially being the franchise guy. And then, you know, with Mac Jones, I'd tell you he's probably a probably a, an early day two quarterback. That's how I would put it. I think that he can be a starter in the NFL, but I'd tell you he's a day two guy. That just doesn't happen in today's NFL. So many teams are so desperate to go get quarterbacks. They have to move up to go get these players that really maybe shouldn't be picked that high. And so where I say that, yeah, I could see five quarterbacks going in the top 50, it's much more likely that all five go in the top 15 because of what we've seen here uh, with, with these quarterbacks and how desperate these teams are to go get them. Trevor Seckham, I agree with that 100%. Your job is to analyze the tape and make an opinion of where you think these guys deserve to go. But you put it beautifully that with all the pressure and all the teams needing to be this desperate and trading up and moving their draft board, a player like Mac Jones, who I don't think is number three overall, you have Justin Fields. I mean, this is a really great conversation because Kyle Shanahan and Lynch moved up to number three to get a quarterback or to get one of their quarterbacks. And if it's Mac Jones... I think they get him easily. I don't think anybody wants him anywhere near number three unless it's the Niners. So why are you not buying into that and you're putting Justin Fields of Ohio State at number three to the 49ers? 
Yeah, I, I just don't see that this being a, a, a move for a Mac Jones kind of player. Look, Kyle Shanahan doesn't become the quote-unquote offensive genius that he is, and a lot of people highly respect his offensive mind. And I, I didn't put those quotes to mean insulting in any way. That's just kind of what people call him. He doesn't become this offensive genius by thinking that Mac Jones gives him the highest ceiling. You know, you look at his quarterbacks of the past, and a lot of people point to the same archetype as Mac Jones, but as Kyle Shanahan put it after they made the trade, everybody seems to say, oh, this is a Kyle Shanahan quarterback. And Shanahan said himself, no, my kind of quarterback is Patrick Mahomes. It's Russell Wilson. It's Aaron Rodgers. It's the guys who are at the very top. He's never been able to handpick his kind of quarterback before, and I mean truly handpick it. I really doubt, and I don't think there's any way that he would trade three first-round picks to go up and get a player of Mac Jones's caliber. Could he have sat at number 12 and got Mac Jones? Okay, sure, that, that's a different story. You're risking multiple first-round picks now to go up and get the guy, and I have to think that he's going after the player that presents the highest ceiling. And so I really do think that they moved up to number three to go get Justin Fields or Zach Wilson. If Zach Wilson happens to not be the number two overall pick, though that seems pretty likely there. That's what I believe is going to happen there. And honestly, I'm not I'm not buying this Mac Jones stuff at all, and I don't even think he's going to be a top-ten pick when it's all said and done. So good. From the Draft Network, Trevor Sikkima. It's Sikkima's 2021 NFL Mock Draft 5.0. So Atlanta at number four, because they could use an Aaron Parent to Matt Ryan, but then Kyle Pitts is there, and Kyle Pitts, the tight end out of Florida, is just an absolute beast. So with Trey Lance and whoever the other quarterbacks are going to be there, you don't think the Falcons are going to want to do that. They need weapons, and clearly Pitts is the best offensive weapon on the board for you. Well, I, I think that they could go quarterback. After talking to some people who really cover the team closely, you know, they extended Matt Ryan and they gave him that, that they moved around that money with him. And that made me think, okay, well, they're clearly all right with Matt Ryan over the next two years because they're making it really difficult to move on from him. But right. from what I then learned, Terry Fontenot, the new GM, he didn't want to extend Matt Ryan. He didn't want to have to do that, but he thought that was the only way for them to really clear up cap room and get a lot of money to move. So he didn't. that wasn't even really his first choice, and I'm kind of hearing from the reports of people who cover Atlanta closer, Arthur Smith thinks that he could win, the new head coach there. He thinks that he can certainly win with Matt Ryan over the next couple of years, but Terry Fontenot is leaning towards getting a new quarterback in there as a new general manager. And so I think the quarterback's definitely on the table, but if they're not going quarterback, if they're a little bit split on it because you definitely want a quarterback to uh, pick to be in unison, Kyle Picks make a lot of sense for them. Creating an offense that they absolutely love, when you look at him and how good of a player he was, how unique he is for the tight end position. Arthur Smith was the former offensive coordinator for the Titans over the last two years, and no offensive coordinator in football ran more heavy personnel, multi-tight end packages than Arthur Smith did over the last two years. And so you can look at the roster and say, hey, they traded a second-round pick for Hayden Hurst. They don't need to go get Kyle Pitts. I'd tell you that the coach they have now knows exactly what it's like to win with multiple tight ends on the field, especially a guy who brings you such a unique skill set like Kyle Pitts does. So if they don't go quarterback, which they could, they could also trade down. They're staying at number four. I think it's got to be Kyle Pitts. He gives you the best return. Trevor Sikkema joins us, the Draft Network. Check out his new mock draft at thedraftnetwork.com. I already retweeted it. Now, the one thing I don't agree with you on is the Broncos moving up from nine to number six to get Trey Lance. Not that the Broncos wouldn't look at a quarterback, but right there, Miami could take Jamar Chase. And I don't think Miami can afford 
to lose a weapon like that so high in the draft if he checks off every box and is a superstar wide receiver? What was your mindset of Miami trading out of that pick and why Denver went up? So this was sort of where I was just trying to explore a reality that might be a little bit different than the one that we're all kind of saying. Because we do know that the draft is very unpredictable. And I agree with you. I think that Miami moved back from number three to number 12 and then immediately from 12 to six, thinking that they wanted one of two pass catchers, either Kyle Pitts or Jamar Chase. And so in this reality, the mock draft that I have here, I thought to myself, well, what if they moved to six only wanting Kyle Pitts. What if they just really, really wanted Kyle Pitts, thinking Atlanta wasn't going to draft him, knowing that um, that the Cincinnati Bengals probably weren't as well? Then what would Miami do? Would they sit there at six? And so I have them moving back a little bit just because they didn't have the chance to draft Kyle Pitts. And, heck, you know, the draft could very well go Kyle Pitts at four, and then maybe the Cincinnati Bengals choose Jamar Chase at number five. So this was a little bit of a peer into a different reality to say if, if it doesn't fall exactly the way they want it to for Miami, what are they going to do at number six? So I had them moving back not too far, getting an extra draft pick. Probably could have got a little bit more even than what I said there from the Broncos. But from the flip side, I don't think the Denver Broncos are so desperate to move on from Drew Locke that they would mortgage a lot of picks, a lot of future picks, to go all the way up to number four overall. But maybe the jump from nine to six, that ain't too much. And if that's the case, you get it for a little bit of a discount, bring Trey Lance in. He's got competition with Drew Locke. That's how I thought it made sense for both sides, just exploring a little bit of a what-if could be there. Great opinions here. Wrapping up with Travis Sekimau. You have the Cowboys, Patrick Sertain the second. A lot of mock drafts, a lot of your peers have that pick there. Are you sensing that's what Jerry Jones wants? they got to concentrate on having a cover corner. They have to have an impact guy because Dak, Zeke, the weapons they have at wide receiver, even some of their upfront players on the offensive and defensive line is pretty good. Is this the beginning of the Cowboys taking their secondary very seriously? Yeah, I think it has to be. I really believe that the only player that they would really consider over one of the top corners on the board is Kyle Pitts, but I don't think Pitts is making it to 10. And so with that, I think they're going to have their eyes on the cornerback position. Patrick Sertan's about as steady as they come. He's so experienced. Obviously, his dad played a long time in the NFL, and you can see that football background and how he plays corner. He is just so steady. He's so calm. He's so poised. He understands different kinds of alignments how to go up against different kinds of receivers. He, you could tell that he already understands how to watch tape. He's going to hit the ground running in the NFL. The only other corner that I think that they would probably pick is maybe if Jerry Jones likes the flashier, more aggressive kind of J.C. Horn, the corner from South Carolina. Horn's great, and I think Horn should be in the conversation here, but for what the Cowboys need, they need the sure thing. They need the higher floor player, and I really think that uh, Patrick Sertan, he's a CB1 no matter how you slice it. All right, last one. You know my work with the Raiders out here in Vegas, and Micah Parsons drops to the Raiders at 17. That is my dream scenario because I think the Raiders haven't concentrated on linebacker. They need a right tackle. Uh, Obviously, they got to upgrade that defense. They did a lot of that in the offseason, but I love this pick for the silver and black. The only thing I differ with you is I think that Mayock would have to move up from 17 to 11 into 13, somewhere there, to go get him. How do you have Micah Parsons, the linebacker from Penn State, dropping all the way to 17 in the Raiders? Yeah, I, it just depends how he's going to be viewed. And I'm not sure right now because he's a really great prospect. I mean, on the field, going back to the last game that he played two years ago before he opted out of this past season, 
man, that Cotton Bowl game against Memphis, it's one of my favorite individual tapes I've seen of any prospect in this class. And so, you know, he plays with his hair on fire. He's got that former uh, edge rusher background. He actually went to Penn State as a weak side defensive end. And so, you know, they, they end up converting him to linebacker because he's just got so much athleticism with him. And so, you know, when you look at the Raiders and you say, hey, they need a linebacker, they need an edge rusher, this guy fills a little bit of both. He gives you the best of both worlds. And so I think this is a perfect prospect for the Raiders. How he might last a little bit till 17, you know, there's some off-the-field stuff that there's been whispers of. You know, he'll be a guy that background checks, very important. That's what you – hire the guys in your scouting staff to really do is figure out what makes these guys tick. Because I say it all the time, you're drafting, especially in the first round, you are drafting people as much as players. And that often goes towards them achieving their potential, how they're going to fit within their organization, and what they're going to do for your NFL team. And so I think this is probably on the tail end of where Micah Parsons will go. But anywhere from, I'll say, pick nine all the way until – you know, pick 20. I think that that's, that that's the range that you could see Micah Parsons in. I think he's a fantastic player. He'd be perfect for any team that just wants to have that core linebacker and build the defense around him. Is this it for you at 5.0? Do you expect to have another one out in the next two weeks? No, we've got our final one coming out the day before the draft begins. Okay. That'll be our final one. That will be our predictive one that we really – here is what we think is it going to happen on draft night. That's always the exciting one, and that'll be out, uh, yeah, the day before the draft, which not too far away now. Sounds great. Good to talk to you again. Thanks for coming on, my friend. Great work, and uh, keep it up. I'll, we'll have you on to recap this after the draft. I want to hear how, how well you did. I, I, I have a feeling, because I saw this, you're going to nail a lot of these picks. Thanks again. I appreciate it, JC. We'll talk soon. Appreciate you. Thank you, Trevor. Trevor Sikkim, a really good. Brought to you by Ihole, the new international award-winning ultra-premium tequila Official sponsor of the show now, official tequila of the Henderson Silver Knights, Ihole, is an expression of excitement. So after a touchdown or a goal, celebrate by shouting, Ihole. Ihole is from Tequila, Mexico. And thanks to our new tequila sponsor, they're delivering me Pete Rose tomorrow, the all-time hit king with breaking news exclusively on this radio show tomorrow. Play action fake. Mack rolls right. He looks. He'll throw wide open. Forrestal with a flag on the play. Touchdown, Alabama. Bama Radio, Mac Jones. We're talking about the draft. We'll get back to that in a little bit. Jeff Sherman, kind enough to join us. The VP of Risk Management over at the Superbook at the Westgate. We have him on every two weeks for great information on odds from a sports gaming perspective. Jeff, let's begin with the Masters couple of big takeaways for you as Matsuyama won and big day on Saturday for him and struggled coming in. Three out of the last four holes, he bogeyed. What was the handle like? Uh, the handle was exceptional. We did about the same that we did for the November Masters. So uh, we had a short shelf life for this just because of the time in between. I already got up next year's Masters, so that'll be better with a year. But uh, the big takeaway was Matsuyama finally coming through because he had struggled at the start of the season. His odds opened at 40-1, to 1, drifted all the way out to 60-1, to 1, which is what we closed him pre-tournament. So uh, he finally came through with a win this time. 
interesting that he was covering the whole weight of his country of Japan and he was able to get it done. When we had you, I talked about picking Justin Thomas to win Jordan Spieth clearly. And, you know, one of the big takeaways from me, Jeff, I don't know if you're going to agree with this, but I thought this was the perfect type of tournament for Tiger to win if he didn't get into the accident. The leaderboard wouldn't have scared him. I think he could have hung around at three or four under, possibly on Saturday in his round. Is that fair to say here, even though he is injured and he couldn't play? That's the type of leaderboard at the back end of his career that I think Tiger could conquer. Well, you know, when he won it in 2019, he beat even more of a quality leaderboard. So this, this is the one course that he can do it at. Uh, you know, he just knows every nuance with this course. And uh, if he's ever going to win a major again when he returns, if he returns, it would be this one. Lastly, you set the Masters odds for next year way out in advance. Uh, what would surprise some of our listeners about some of the odds of uh, certain golfers there that came up short or didn't even make the cut this time around? Well, now you get DJ at 12-1 to 1 when he was shorter than double digits the whole week this time. Uh, so we got a long ways to go. So if you're going to tie your money up, we felt like uh, we should give you double digits on him. You know, we did see a lot of support for him at nine to one. I couldn't stay at nine to one this past week. We had a lot of sharp play on him, but now that you get 12 to one for that. Uh, and then Will Zalatoris is the new name in golf that people will be mm-hmm. looking for. And he opens up at 40 to one when this past week he closed 150 to one. Jeff Sherman joins us from the Superbook at the Westgate. You were really active this morning updating the NBA championship odds. What's been going on? Well, a lot of that has to do with a Jamal Murray injury last night and him missing the rest of the season and into next season. And that pretty much takes Denver out of play. And Denver had been seeing a lot of support. Uh, They added Aaron Gordon. So they had a lot of momentum Have been doing well since that acquisition as low as 14 to one. And now without Jamal Murray, which it changes the, the dynamic of their team. And we saw what he could do in the playoffs last year and putting up some 40, 50 point games. So, uh, we bumped them all the way up to 100 to one. Had to reshape other teams in the Western Conference, and it really limits who can come out of there now. So uh, we just had to keep reshaping that field, and we finally settled on Denver at 100 and lowered the Lakers from seven to two down to three to one. The Clippers from eight down to six. Do you recall a movement that you've made this late into the season with NBA championship odds off an injury like this one for the Nuggets at 100 to one? That's a big move. Yeah, it's it's hard for me to think to go back and yeah. find an impactful injury that, you know, obviously with LeBron and AD out, they're not expected to be out the whole year. If they were, you'd see something even more drastic than that. But uh, it, it's usually tough to find where someone gets injured like this on a team that's a contender and is going to miss the entire postseason. So from that perspective, I can't recall it recently. Uh, the recent post that you had, Nets 9-4, to Lakers 3-1, to and then the Clippers – at six to one, talk about the Clippers support here at this number. Clippers have been very under the radar for me on my show. Not a lot of fans talking about them. Not a lot of excitement, but they're knocking down wins. How do you see the Clippers? Yeah, well, they just they haven't been able to put together a, a fully healthy product on the floor. Whether it's Paul George missing games or Kawhi Leonard, who's now out tonight, uh, he's just missing games. So, um, it, when they're healthy, they're going to be a contender, but. Um, you know, without those guys, and they're not getting the support at the betting window in the future market. But when we get down to the playoffs, and, and like I said, you take Denver somewhat out of the equation now, uh, there will be Clippers support during the playoff time. 
Jeff Sherman from the Westgate, the Superbook. What have you seen in baseball when we take a look at the future numbers to win the World Series and teams off to a slow start? Very dramatic start to the season for the Yankees. The Red Sox started slow. Now they're roaring. And then the teams out west, the Angels, the Dodgers, the way we're seeing some of the play in Los Angeles so far. Any surprises in baseball that jump out at you? Well, the Angels is a big one. You know, we opened yeah. the Angels at 40 to 1. We have them down to 18 to 1, and we've seen a lot of support for them. Uh, so that's taken a drastic dip. Uh, Houston's exceeded expectations with their hot start. They're at 20 to 1 right now. You know, we've got the Dodgers at 7 to 4. We have liability on them, even at the short odds. So people love betting the Dodgers. And we're not over, uh, over adjusting the Yankees, even though they're, they've started off relatively slow. We still have them at 5 to 1. The only other team with the Dodgers that's in single digits. So. We're not going to react too quickly to uh, the slow start. Since we last talked in the last couple of weeks, you told us about Colorado as the favorite for the Cup. Has anything changed since the trade deadline in the NHL? Uh, not too much. We didn't have to fluctuate anything. We still have Boston at 20, even though they, they got Taylor Hall, which was the, the big deadline deal. Uh, you know, the Knights acquisition didn't trade any, uh, change anything. Same with the Avalanche. They added a backup goalie. But uh, the Avalanche are the clear favorite at 9-2 to two with the Knights. Toronto and Tampa at 7-1, so very little movement based on the trade deadline. Jeff, what do you do with the NFL draft? What is the theme even going forward with the NFL as Roger Goodell is getting more inclusive with sports gambling, especially on a national level? What are some of the plays with the draft coming up in the first round here? What can you tell us about that? Yeah, we're going to put up all of our draft props the week of the draft. We found that okay. to be the where you get the most the proper information. I know if you had things up now, there's so much movement especially like Mac Jones. You could have found him at some places over under 17 and a half. Now he's expected to go three. So, you know, we're going to get our, try to get a lot, a, a large menu up the week of the draft and have the, the proper information we need to do it and then let everyone have fun with it. Hey, lastly, when it comes to soccer, I saw the retweet from you. Vegas is going to get a global soccer game, which is pretty exciting for our town here at Allegiant Stadium. Oh, no doubt. Uh, that was a surprise, the CONCACAF Gold Cup final, which traditionally has been the U.S. and Mexico just because of the class of mm -hmm. CONCACAF. And if we get that matchup here, I already know I'll be going there, so I'm looking forward to it. And I'll go even if those two teams don't meet in it. But it, it should be really exciting to see a major match like that come to Allegiant. Absolutely. Thanks, Jeff. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Always appreciate your time. All right. Thanks, JT. Yeah, that is a big deal, what he said there, and that just came out today. So the Gold Cup, the 2021 Gold Cup final, is coming to Vegas, and that was announced today. The championship match will be played at Allegiant Stadium on August 1st. What an August in Vegas with preseason football and obviously one of the biggest soccer events that you could have on your schedule. So the CONCACAF Gold Cup has been confirmed. The championship match played at Allegiant Stadium on August 1st. This is a hot topic for me. I like European soccer, international soccer, and I hope that Allegiant Stadium, because of that beautiful grass field and the way they could house so many fans, becomes the home for international soccer in the United States. Look, there are great hotbeds like Columbus, Ohio. There's great venues like in Miami at Hard Rock Stadium. But I think once the global world sees that Allegiant Stadium could put on epic soccer matches and could get 70,000 fans to it, it's going to be incredible. That's a big part of the schedule and the dates every year is to see boxing, UFC, and especially soccer. That hour flew by. We got a big one coming up. Shane Knighty is going to join us here from the Vegas Golden Knights broadcast. Howard Balzer 
our NFL insider, with his perspective on the draft, as we're brought to you by Remy Martin. Team up for excellence with a Remy Martin cocktail.